Welcome to Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast from Houston, Texas. We hope you enjoy our English pastor, John Ryan Cantu's Sunday morning message. Hallelujah. This morning I'm going to be speaking about, or the title of my message is Business as Usual. Now, if, uh, when I go through this, you're probably going to know that this, uh, the title really doesn't go with it, but we'll make the connection. And I'm going to begin with this quote from Max Dupree. And I want you to listen and be very attentive this morning. Um, put up your phones, take off your watch, put it inside your purse or inside your pocket. Because Pastor Ryan is really good at being done in 30 minutes, but I cannot guarantee absolutely anything. I didn't get too many amens. Listen to this quote. It says, in the end, it is important to remember that we cannot become what we need to be by remaining what we are. Amen. In the end, it is important to remember that we cannot become what we need to be or what we were called to be by remaining what we are. Tomorrow we begin a new week. Well, for me, that's the way I count it. My week begins on a Monday. Saturday and Sunday for me, if it's not cleaning, amen, ladies, catching up on that, And then on Sunday, we come to rest in the Lord, and then we go home and we take a nap. Amen, ladies? Sometimes, most of the time, that my week begins on a Monday. You walk into work, and the the beautiful, marvelous Mondays that we have. Who loves Mondays? Not a big fan of Mondays, but it is a, a day that the Lord created, right? We walk in on a Monday into our job. And I don't know about you, but when I walk into my job on a Monday, I don't get many good mornings. Hi, how are you? If people are there, because, you know, usually we take off Fridays or Mondays because those are the worst days to work. But if people are there, you get a blank stare in the face or they kind of just look down. They don't look straight at you or they don't say anything to you. They're just there because they have to be because they need to pick up a check on Friday. That's the only reason that they're there. So Mondays are business as usual, right? Back to the normal, back to the usual thing that you did the the week before. So we already know what's going to happen after a vacation. What is it? Back to business. And we always say back to reality. We wish we can stay, you know, in, in Mexico, wherever you went, Cancun, or wherever you, you wish you could stay there just a little bit longer. But once you fly in, you already know the bills are coming. I have to go back to work. I have to do what I was doing all over again. Back to reality. Back to business as usual. We live a life and we have a life. We have a very monotonous schedule. Amen. If we were to know each other, and I think I know each of you pretty well, and I could probably tell you what you do, what you do on a regular week, and you can probably look at me and say, I know what you do on a regular week. I have three kids and I have a husband. So we pretty much can relate that we do 
the same thing over and over. We have the same issues and the same problems. The only time that a monotonous schedule changes is when we have an event, if we have a wedding, if we have a birthday party, if we have something different that completely changes our schedule. We have mommies that have their kids in every sport and hats off to you because I don't know how you fit that in there. But you do, praise God. So we live our lives in a pattern, constant, always going. We live repetitive, mechanical, dull, unchanging, flat, blah, bland, familiar lives. Do you need something else? Do you need another word in there? And well, most of the time we have no choice, right? We have to get things done. And it's hard to believe When I sit down and I look at women and men that have families and have a full-time job at home and a full-time job at work, and they fit school in there, Jesus, take the wheel. I tried that, and it is the most difficult thing to be able to go back to school once you have a family and once you have a job and everything in between. Hats off to you as well. That's another story. That's another preaching. So going back to scripture, if you were to open your Bible to Isaiah 43, 19. And I'm going to have it up here if you do not have your Bible with you. And yes, you may take out your phone to, to uh, search that. Not to look at the time, guys. Hallelujah. Isaiah 43, 19 says, look, I am doing a new thing. Now it sprouts up. Don't you recognize it? I'm making a way in the desert and a path in the wilderness. When I read that, I was like, the Lord obviously gave that to me and he placed it in my heart. He said, this is what I want your people. This is what I want my people to hear. And I said, yes. Lord, you gave me a word to bring restoration. You gave me a word that's going to bring someone hope. Where they're going to know, hey, look, God is doing a new thing. He's going to change something up in your life. He's going to bless you. He's going to prosper you. And I'm like, yes, Lord, because the Lord always gives me a word that steps on toes. Just FYI. And I said, okay, Lord, I got this. I got this. I totally understand what you're trying to say to me. Now, we normally read one verse and we hang on to that verse. And we're like, Lord, all right, you said you're doing a new thing. I'm going to hold on to that promise. You're doing a new thing. But let's go up a little bit. Isaiah 43, 11 through 13. And it says this. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I and not for some, not I and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am He. No one can deliver out of my hand. And listen to this part. When I act, who can reverse it? And I stuck to that one too. I was like, yes, Lord. When you speak, who can reverse that? The CEB version says, who can undo it? When I act, who can reverse it? 
When I make, who can unmake it? That's the message version. So his promises are sealed. And that's another preaching. He seals his promises. Who can undo what I do, says the Lord. So I said, yes, Lord. Yes, keep speaking to me. And then he takes me to Isaiah 43, 22 to 24. And it says, in the part right there where it says um, Jacob, I'm sorry, and the part that says Israel, we're going to insert our name and we're going to insert church in there. So he said to me like this, he said, yet you have not called upon me, O Maritza. You have not wearied yourself for me, O church. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. You have not brought any fragrant calamus for me, or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins, and wearied me with your offenses. Lord... I said, Lord, why couldn't we just keep it there to where you were doing a new thing? He did it. He didn't want to. He needed to speak today. In the first part, he tells us who he is. He is God. He is our Savior. He can do everything and anything, and nobody can do that. In the second part, he says he's doing a new thing. He has a plan for your life. He is constantly doing a new thing. We know the word of God is true. We know the word of God is alive. We know the word of God penetrates to the deepest of our hearts. Amen? So he's doing a new thing. But in that last part, curl up your toes, guys. He says, he lays it out and he says, but what have you done for me? What sacrifices have you made for me? Now, most of us have been here for a while. Most of us have been saved for a while. We've known God for a long time, yet we are still struggling servants. Amen. We're struggling every day, trying to be more like Christ. And God brought Peter to view. Now, who is Peter? In Matthew 26, 36, he speaks about Peter. Peter was God's bro. I typically do not use that language, but I will today. That's God's buddy. That's God's bro. That's God's friend. That's God's... That This is way back. Because that's way back. That's back in ghettos coming out uh that was god's friend and he knew that jesus was on his way to the cross to the crucifixion he knew jesus already knew what was going to happen he knew he was going to have to lay down his life for humanity and he says peter come i'm gonna go pray come with me So he goes with him, and most of us already know the story, and he says, stay here. I'm going to go up a little bit further, and I'm going to pray to my father. And he says, watch and pray. And my husband preached on this a couple of months ago. And the Lord went and poured out his heart to God, and he came back. And what was Peter doing? I think Peter and I are related. How many of you guys get sleepy when you pray? 
Now, I'm not talking about those prayers where you're rebuking all kinds of demons and everything. But those prayers where you're like, Lord, thank you for this morning. Be with me this morning. Those, those prayers at 5 o'clock in the morning, I had some of those this week. And I'm like, forgive me, Lord, because you fall asleep. Because you're tired. But the Lord tells Peter, dude, you couldn't stay awake for an hour? He's like, all right. Watch and pray. I'm going to give you another chance. Watch and pray. I'm going to go pray again to the Father. So he leaves and he goes and he prays again. He comes back. Guy's knocked out. Doesn't say anything. He goes back and he prays. He comes back and he sees Peter. Peter's knocked out. You know, the kind where the Baba's hanging out. The kind where, you know, you're, you're salivating. You know, you've, everybody's had those. I don't care how pretty you are. You've had those naps where they're good. And this is the nap that he was having. But Jesus was a little offended. He's like, dude, you're supposed to be praying for me. You know, so if you're part of that, that prayer chat and we received, we receive a prayer where we need to pray for that person. Don't fall asleep on it. Those people are counting on you to pray, to actually pray for them. So when you receive that notice, even if you're at work and you take five seconds to say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I speak healing. If it's healing, I speak deliverance if they need deliverance, but take the time to do that. So he let down Jesus. Imagine Jesus here in this place right now in this world right next to you. And he says, hey, pray for me. But God, but that Jesus is your best buddy. So eh, you don't see him as the son of God. You know, you see him as your buddy. So would you fall asleep? Like some of you guys are right now. Would you fall asleep? He also denied Jesus three times. And Jesus told him, you're going to deny me three times. He says, uh-uh, Lord, I will not deny you. I know who I serve. So sure of himself that he denied him three times. He was a struggling servant. Amen? We are all struggling servants. I have been saved. If I want to count from when I was 12 years old, and you're probably going to know how old I am. Uh, I have been saved for 21 years, a long time. Some of you guys aren't even 21 yet. The Lord saved me when I was 12. So it's been a, a good while. But how many souls have I brought to Jesus? How many souls have you brought to Jesus? How many souls have come to the feet of Jesus because of you? No, it doesn't necessarily have to be that you're preaching day in and day out to all these people, but with your testimony, with the way that you live, with the way that you speak, with your attitude, with who you are. Sometimes you don't even have to open your mouth. How many people have you brought to Jesus? What needs to change in you in order for this to happen? And we're going to do a lot of self-analyzing this morning. And I'm trying to go as fast as I can without leaving anything out. But what, need, what needs to change into, what needs to change in us, I'm sorry, is our mind, our attitude, our vocabulary, our reactions, and our spiritual man. Now, I'm not going to touch each and every one of these. I'm only touching two. Now, we are told when we are saved that Jesus changes everything. And there's stuff in my life where I'm still waiting on a change. 
And we'll get back to that. Now, the reason that I question how long have we been saved, the truth is, is that we do not see changes in people who claim to know Christ. They still have the same attitudes. They still act the same. Their desires remain the same. Their goals remain the same. There's a quote from Mark Twain that says, the only person that likes to be changed is a wet baby. And all the mamas said, amen, because you know. No one likes to be tweaked. No one likes to be told, hey, you're not doing that right. No one likes that. But that's where growth comes in. Amen. Where does change begin? It begins in your thoughts and quickly. Romans 12, 2. It says, be transformed, a.k.a. also means change by the renewing of your mind. So many things can happen when you renew your mind. Analyze your thoughts towards certain situations. We have to check ourselves every now and then and review what we are inserting into our minds. And I was looking through a recent report. We know social media is out there all the time. We know the internet's out there with all kinds of stuff all the time. But in this recent report, children ages two through 18, they spend five and a half hours a day on the internet. Crazy. 12, 13-year-olds, and, and two of my kids fall under that category, 12 to 13 hours a day. So we expose our mind to all of, the, all of this, and we don't expose our mind to the Word of God. Only 32%, guys, listen, only 32% of our age, people our age, read the Word. Why do you think that is? When we have all kinds of novelas going on in here. Ladies, y'all like to watch soap operas or Netflix, whatever? It's all right here. Ephesians 5.26 says that we are in fact washed by the water of his word. So when you compare these two things, when you spend so much time on the internet or your phone or whatever you want to call it, and you know what? Next time, time yourself because a lot of times we're like, well, I don't even use my phone that much because we don't do it thinking about it. We just go to the restroom, guys, and we spend three hours there watching I don't know what, playing I don't know what, that we lose track of time. If only we would lose track of time praying. You know, and it sounds like everybody says that nowadays, but it's so true. What if we spent that much time? There's no comparison. There's nothing to counteract the junk that we're inserting into our spirit and into our minds. We need the word of God to wash us. We also need to change the way we think about church. I told you guys to curl your toes in. There are three ways that we think about our church. Sometimes it's out of obligation. I kind of have to be there. I'm obligated because of habit. I was raised that way. Uh, Also, because my parents bring me. 
But now the latest thing is because I want my kids to be raised in the Lord. Praise God. But where are you? Where do you stand? You as the parent. Number two, I'm there because of maintenance. I've heard this one too. It's just the same old thing. Same people. Same faces. Sorry, guys. Same faces doing the same thing over and over. Stand up. Let's get you to work. We're going to change the face. We need you. That's the way we're going to change it. Number three, it's an option. You take it or leave it. When something better comes along, there's no loyalty. So when you see that this church over here, they have it together. You know, everybody's working. Everybody's doing what they need to do. And you're like, I'm going to head that way because that way I don't have to do anything. I'm sure our pastors have, that, has, that has crossed their mind. I just want to sit and listen and be ministered to and not have to work all the time. And that's our mentality. But what are we here to do? But we're here to, yes, worship. But we're here to work and bring people that do not know the Lord. So no, that is, it's not an option. We must change our mindset about church. We cannot attend because of obligation or duty. To be able to be part of a church is a complete and total privilege. We cannot view view it as maintenance. We must attend expecting God to break in and move and bless. Listen to this. You have pen and paper. Write it down. Highlight it. Write it down in bold on your phone. Whatever, Wherever you need to put this. The atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground of miracles. Okay, so why are we not seeing miracles? Lack of expectancy. Why is the spirit of God not falling over us? Lack of expectancy. We lack that because we're used to the same old, same old. I'm going to sit there in church and, and sing my favorite songs and be blessed and go back home and then come back Sunday and do the same thing. There is no expectancy. You, you don't realize that you're doing it. So I'm telling you today, this is what we're doing. We do not have or we do not expect the move of God and we do not prepare for the move of God. And I'm going to insert a little challenge today right here. I challenge you one day out of this week, and don't make the promise to me, but someone sees you up there that handles it all. Fast one day. One day this week. A couple of hours, but really fast. Don't just not eat. And say, Lord, move this Sunday that's coming up. I have this desire and this need, Lord, move in it. Lord, move in those hearts that do not know you. Move this next Sunday. And I promise you, next Sunday is not going to be the same. So then you want to come back because you know that there is change. But because we do not expect, nothing happens. The atmosphere expectancy is a breeding ground of miracles. We have to come anticipating something new every time we walk in those doors. Finally, it cannot be optional. 
We cannot allow the church to become an option. The Bible commands us to meet together. Hebrews 10.25 talks about that. We must begin to view the church as our number one priority over work and play. Our church is a place of life for us. We refuel. We refire while we're here at church. This is our lifeline. This is, a lot, this is one of the reasons a lot of us are, are still going. Because we come to church and we are blessed. We must change the way that we think about church. We know our mind needs change, but what about our spirit? And maybe you're not in touch with your spirit. And that is a reason to be here. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. It's one of my favorite. But of power and love and self-control. In order for you to begin a transformation in your workplace, in your home, in your world. There must be a total transformation in your spirit. Paul says that he has not given us a spirit of fear. So doubt, dread, insecurity, panic, anxiety... All of that that we hold on to, it's something that we literally hold on to. The word says that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So he gave us power. He gave us love. He gave us self-control. We pick up anxiety and fear and depression and rejection. We fear absolutely everything. We fear success. Well, what if my company is doing so good that I just can't keep up with it? I mean, we come up with stuff to fear. We fear ridicule. We fear pain. We fear death. We fear evil. We have chosen to take this on ourselves when it was never even intended for us to pick up. And we do that. But take strength in this. Isaiah 12, 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust And will not be afraid. Also, there's another chapter in Psalms 27. Whenever you feel down and out, pull that up. And we read the first few verses. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh. When my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. It's right there. Take strength in that. Scripture here addresses what we already have. We need to understand the things that are already ours. We don't have to go out and get those. You guys realize that. You have to dig into your heart God has already placed those things inside of you. We must only begin to operate in the spirit in order to be able to obtain, or not to obtain, but to pull out that that's already in us. So guarding our mind and guarding our spirit, God will bring change in in that. Now, and I'm almost actually almost done, guys. Now, 
Going to Genesis 22, 1 and 13. I want to address, a lot of you guys are probably like, okay, well, I need to change my mind. I need to change the way that I think about things. I need to change my spirit. Where does this take place? Now, you see this right here, all around, all around the stage. What is that? The altar. Now, there's churches that use this as a display area where there are plants and flowers, but they're never used for what they're supposed to be used. I think a lot of us have a story or have a testimony of something that has happened right along our altar here where God has spoken to us and God has changed us. And we know that there is life here and we know that there's deliverance here. We know that God moves. So we go back and we look at this, these verses and here we're talking about Abraham presenting his son, Isaac. Now if we, I don't, I'm not sure if you've read the story of Abraham, but God promised Abraham and Sarah when they were really, really, really old. He said, you know what? You're going to have a son. God's going to bless you with a promise. And of course, Abraham and Sarah tried to help God like we usually try to do. And they screw it up. He, and, he has a, a child with one of the servants. And so that was the first child, but he was not the child of the promise. Then the Lord still blessed them. So Sarah had a baby and this baby was Isaac. And Isaac was a son of promise. So Sarah and Abraham prayed, prayed, prayed so much. And God finally gave them their promise, what he had promised. So here in these verses, it says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham, the father of faith. Guys, God tested Abraham, the father of faith, and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, listen. Stay here with the donkey, guys. And I and the lad, my kid, will go over there and we will worship and we will return to you. Okay. So I stopped there and I was like, choice of words, maybe? He said, and we will return. We will return. But God told him to go sacrifice Isaac. So why is it we? Shouldn't it be, okay, I will return back to you once the sacrifice is made because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I will go back to the part where God asked him for his son. That's, that's a biggie right there. But, but look at this part right here. He says, we will return. Why? Why did he make that statement? I and the boy will go over there and worship, then we will come back to you. Because his faith was so strong in the promise that he knew God would raise Isaac from the dead if he had to. 
Because God is bound by his word. If God has made a promise to you, he is bound by that promise. That's why Abraham said, okay, you asked for, your, for, for my son. I'm going to give him to you. But I trust you. That even if it means that you're going to raise him from the dead after I kill him because you want him as a sacrifice, then, okay, God, you know what you're doing. How many of us can do that? God says, take your son of promise, promise whom you love and sacrifice him. What an excruciating demand. Now, if God would have asked him for Ishmael, now Ishmael was the illegitimate son that was born from the servant. How bad would that have been? I'm not saying Abraham didn't love him. Abraham probably loved him. But Isaac was the son of the promise. He was the miracle. What if he would have asked for Ishmael? But Isaac, why Isaac? That's something else. And this is the deal with us. We don't mind giving God what we hate. We all know where we fall short. We don't mind giving it up to God and telling him, hey, Lord, I hate my addiction. Work on it for me. I hate my sickness. Lord, work on it for me. I hate my deficiencies. I hate my weaknesses. We easily give that up because we don't want them in our lives. But what if God asked, for you, asked something from you that you love? Something that you like to spend your time doing? What if? What if he requires me to sacrifice everything that I love? What if I love to spend money? God has been controlling that in my life involuntarily. Amen. And he requires me to give that up. You know, your five bucks you pick up, pick up on Friday, he says, give it to me. And a lot of people like to say that God is greedy because he says he gives, give it to me. No, 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 no. God tells you, give me the, the 10% for your benefit. Not, I don't need it. God is the maker of heaven and earth and he owns absolutely everything. He does not need your five cents. It's obedience. Right, Pastor? Amen. So, and I'm going to give you this little tidbit right here for free, and this is for younger people. Now, imagine what this whole ordeal taught Isaac. First of all, you're you're telling your kid, the Lord said, you're going to be sacrificed. But he didn't tell him that. He just said, the Lord will provide. I wonder what was going through his mind. He told Isaac, the Lord's going to provide the sheep. Don't worry about it. God has it all under control. Now, what do you think Isaac thought of this? He, he probably thought, my dad loves God more than me. What or who do your children see that you love more? They see you sacrifice to work. To play, but do they see sacrifice to God? Here at the altar, everything is exposed. You think that you don't have anything to change in your life? You think you're doing pretty good? You think God has an A plus next to your name? I challenge you to come up to the altar.
God will expose everything that needs to be changed. Abraham would probably laugh at our moments that we have had here at the altar. Why? Because we want the altar to be a dance. And what was his? Death. We want the altar to be about a shout. And his was about slaughter. We want the altar to be about pleasure. And his was about pain. We have made the altar about getting. Abraham's altar experience was entirely about giving, sacrificing to God. This altar is an altar with hard choices. How has your altar experience been lately? Do you only come when you need or you have maybe a a sick family member or maybe something's not going right? You're not, finances are not coming in. So you run to the altar and you say, Lord, I need you to fix this for me. And the Lord says, cool, I got you. What do you have for me? And I heard this in a preaching, and it's a very, a very strong word that was given uh, in, in a preaching that I was watching. And it said, we use, I think Madai McCain um, shared it, and she said, we use God as a prostitute. I was like, whoa. That's heavy to say, but is it true? Do we use God just for our own benefit and we give nothing back and nothing in return? Abraham here was struggling walking up to Mount Moriah knowing that he had to go sacrifice what God asked him to sacrifice. He, he wasn't playing. It wasn't a game. He had Isaac, his beloved son, his only son with him, the son of promise, something that God told him that he was going to have, a miracle He's walking up to Mount Moriah, and he wasn't playing. He was going to stab and kill his only son. We tend to read it just like that, very normal, very like it happens each and every day. No, he was not playing a game. He said, God, I completely and totally trust you. Even though you promised this to me and you gave it to me, just like God has given us ministries Are you willing to sacrifice it and give it back to the Lord? Are you willing to give everything up to God? He was serious about his loyalty. What do you need to lay on the altar? Well, what needs to die in order for you to obey God? Your will, your desires, your preferences, your fear, your anger, your pride. What or who is your Isaac today? What is it that you're so proud of today? We hear the command to sacrifice that which we dearly hold on to. And sometimes we compromise and be like, Lord, I'll give you this instead of this. We hear the command and we delay. But if we look at the story of Abraham, the Lord spoke and he said, give me your son as a sacrifice guy woke up the next day guess what he did he began to prepare to go on that journey to sacrifice his son he didn't delay he didn't say god but don't touch that he didn't even argue with god imagine that if god tells you today all right give me that which you love that which you hold dear to your heart give it to me 
Will you get up and give it to the Lord? Will you hand it over to God without hesitation, without saying, no, God, don't, don't touch that. That part is okay. I'm okay with that. Don't change it. Everything is running smoothly with that in place. Don't take it. We procrastinate when he calls. A man has only as much faith as he can command in the day of trial. Will you stand with me this morning? Has this God, this Jesus and this Holy Spirit that we talk about, has he invaded your life so much so that it has turned your world, your habits, your dreams, your desires, your entire life upside down? Is conviction still part of your feels or do you no longer feel convicted? When I begin to feel okay in my walk with God, when I begin to feel like I already know what to do, I got this, I know the Lord, I've been saved for a long time, that's when you're in a danger zone. And that's whenever I decide, all right, I'm going to fast. Because when you think you're okay, that's when you become comfortable. And, and God can't reach you in your comfortability. You have to be totally totally exposed before God even with things that hurt even with things that you're comfortable with he needs to change have you considered to be changed by God or is this something you do just come to church on a Sunday is this just your regular and before I continue I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Thanks for tuning in to Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast. Join Pastor John Ryan Cantu every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For directions or more information, visit us at primeraiglesia.org. We'll see you next time and hope you have a blessed week.